This is Talk of the Town. I'm Bob Cutmore. Our guest is Tim Rizzuto, Executive Director of the USS Slater Destroyer Escort Historical Museum, which is now open for tours for the season once again in Albany. You're listening to Magic 590 plus 100.5 in Albany. We're also heard on 96.9 and 1410 in the Glens Falls area. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. (laughs) The USS Slater is described as the only destroyer escort from World War II that remains afloat in the United States. Why is the Slater still afloat? Well, we have to make that qualification because we figure that there were five destroyer escorts worldwide. There's one other in this country, the USS Stewart in Galveston, that's been landlocked. And then we, the Brazilians have one as a museum. Um, the Filipinos have one that they just took out of service, and they may make a museum out of it. The, Thailand has one that's the flag, their ceremonial flagship of their Navy. Yeah, so mm-hmm. very few of these left. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll ask you in a moment about why the, the Slater is in Albany. But let me ask you first about destroyer escorts. What what did these uh, ships do during World War II? Well, d- prior to World War II, your main anti-submarine vessel was a destroyer. And that's kind of a high-end ship, 60,000 shaft horsepower. They go about 35 knots. And so when we started running the convoys to England during World War II, it was kind of when you got a convoy that's only going eight knots, it's kind of a waste to have a 30-knot ship running with that convoy. Mm-hmm. So they decided to build a slower class of escort ships that only had about six to 12,000 shaft horsepower and were a lot cheaper to build. And so these became the corvettes in the, that the British Navy built and then the U.S. Navy built the destroyer escorts, primarily to escort the merchant ships and the convoys across to England. So, uh, a small point, but the destroyer escort goes slower than a destroyer? Much slower, yeah. Is that right? Because, like I said, it only has to keep up with a Liberty ship, which top speed of a Liberty ship's like 11 knots, you know. Mm-hmm. And then back then, the U-boats could do, only do about 17 knots on the surface. So, a 20-knot destroyer escort was adequate to take care of that. So, What history of the Slater in World War II? A Slater kind of came late on the scene. Uh, we're actually celebrating our 75th anniversary this year. She was launched on February 13, 1944, and commissioned on May 1, 1944. And the first duty that she had was down in Key West, Florida. She was actually a target for the uh, torpedo bomber squadrons down there that were training. And uh, one of our jokes is we got hit by five aerial torpedoes in World War II, but fortunately they were the duds. They were dummies. They were supposed to run under the ship, but a lot of times the depth setting would be wrong and it hit the side of the ship. So we still got the dents from that. And then after that duty, she made five transatlantic convoy runs to England and Wales. You know, and at one point they said they believed they were shot at by a U-boat, but uh, they were never hit. And uh, they had some sonar contacts that they dropped depth charges on, but actually never had a confirmed contact or a kill. And then in 1945, after the war in Europe ended, she re- refitted for the war in Japan. They put additional anti-aircraft guns on her to make her ready for the Pacific. And she got as far as Hawaii when they, uh, they dropped a bomb and the war ended. So she did about six months of occupation duty in the Far East and then came home and was put in mothballs. Mm. And then in 1941, or excuse me, 1951, under the Truman Doctrine, she was recommissioned and they transferred her to the Greek Navy. And she served 40 years in the Greek Navy as a... Hellenic ship Atos, which means eagle. Mm -hmm. And uh, just go back one point uh, Mm -hmm. that you made about World War II. They added uh, more anti-aircraft guns when you went to the Pacific. Why was that? The Japanese were using the kamikaze aircraft at that point, and that was a major threat to the U.S. Navy. 
Uh, they did an awful lot of damage to the destroyers and destroyer escorts at Okinawa. And so to kind of have more defense against these kamikaze aircraft, they had uh, several anti-aircraft guns. Mm-hmm. How large a crew did the uh, ship have? Yeah, two, 200 men crammed into that small space. And that's one of the points we make on tours, you know, how, how difficult it was for these guys to live in these conditions. Because you know? I have been on the tour. I mean, yeah. it, it is. it seems like, you know, a small ship. I mean, it's a ship. But- yep. Wow. But the, the crew sizes determine how many people it takes to man all the stations at, uh, when you go to battle stations. And that took 200 men to man all the guns and get man the engine rooms. Uh, Tim Rizzuto is with us, uh, who is executive director of the USS Slater, which is a museum, a destroyer escort historical museum, the ship itself in the Hudson River at Albany uh, with tours and, and things that will detail as we uh, get on, but now we're, we've left the Slater with a new name, the Atos, is it? And, uh, yes, when it was in the Greek Navy, the Greeks renamed it Atos. What did know? they use the, the ship for? A ship was used as a training and patrol vessel. You know, the Greeks periodically seemed to get in war with Turkey, you know, and so, uh, it, but the reason we gave the ship to the Greeks was we gave a lot of our old warships to NATO countries in World War, in the post-war period, because when we were, we were afraid that the communists were going to start the Third World War, mm-hmm. we wanted all, all, all our allies to have some ships to fight with. So that's how we supported all these uh, NATO countries. And then that ended. I mean, I think the, the Greeks used it a lot. The Greeks right? ran it for 40 yeah. years. 40 you know? years. So and, when, when does that bring us and up they, to? They, t- they took us up to 91, okay, with the Gre- when the Greeks went, it went out of service in uh, Suda Bay, Crete. And the Greeks were going to scrap it, okay? And this gets into the whole story about how the ship was saved, um, during World War II, most of these destroyer escorts were manned by reservists. And at the end of the war, they all went back to their civilian jobs and their ships were put in mothballs. And as these guys got older and more nostalgic, they kind of start to f- started to feel like you know, they, their service wasn't recognized during World War II. And they formed an association of destroyer escort veterans called the Destroyer Escort Sailors Association. And in the late 80s, these guys started to look for a ship that they could save to pre- preserve mm-hmm. their service. And they found the uh, Atos over in Greece, and the Greek government actually agreed to donate it, and they actually dry docked the ship to prepare for tow at the, the Greek government expense. And then in 93, she was towed over to the United States. Uh, they, the sailors raised 290000 to have that tow uh, made, and they actually used the Ukrainian tugboat to tow it over. So, huh. <laughs> so and, and this uh, group of, of veterans were the, the destroyer escort, Sailors Association. Sailors Association. Mm -hmm. Uh, And thank you for pointing that out that was towed over. For some reason, I thought it came over under its own power, but that's No, the engines have never been operational ever since uh, we got the ship. And the issue with that is that there were 25 cooling inlets below the waterline that suck in uh, salt water to cool the main engines. And the problem is that uh, these, these are susceptible to lines breaking and sinking. So before they towed the ship over from Greece, they put steel plates over all of these openings to make sure that the ship wouldn't sink. Where did they tow it to? It actually came to the uh, Manhattan to the Intrepid Sea Air Space Museum. Uh, the director down there at the time, Larry Sawinski, wanted a World War II ship to display. And so he had the, Intre- the uh, Slater brought over to the Intrepid. And she w- the, um, there were volunteers down there who started the restoration work. And they were making good progress on it until about 1997 when the Intrepid Park had a management change and they decided they'd acquire too many ships and they needed to downsize. And uh, Slater was one of the ships that said uh, asked to leave and uh, 
they managed to find a new home in Albany, New York. How did that come to be? Uh, it's a funny story about that. Um, apparently, there was somebody in uh, New York, one of the volunteers, wrote the governor and said, we're looking for a home for our ship. You know, you know where we can put it. Who was can governor? You Do you remember? Um, that would have been, oh, uh, who was predecessor to um, Cuomo there? I'm trying to think. That's um, a, Hugh Carey. Nope. Go, uh, go, uh, go in. <laughs> yeah, go in further. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> this one's going to slip in my mind right now. Right. But anyway, it'll come to me right after we finish the interview. But anyway, the uh, letter landed on a desk of a Colonel Kevin Lynch in the Department of Military and Naval Affairs. And Kevin was friends with Mayor Jennings. And Kevin's instructions were basically, hey, you know, dump this. You know, we, we no, tell him we're not. Just give him a polite, we can't help you. But Kevin was intrigued with the idea. And he took it to, Kevin, to uh, Mayor Jennings and also the Convention and Visitors Bureau, uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Bernard. And uh, they were intrigued with the idea and thought this might be a good thing for waterfront fr- development. So they kind of green-lighted the whole project. You know? And I also remember I was sitting around a table with a bunch of— uh, Well, you get, were there when this happened. I, they asked me to come in as a consultant at that point. And uh, th- we had about seven or eight regulatory agencies sitting around a table. And I'm thinking to myself, this thing's never going to happen. They're <laughs> never going to get through the red tape. And somebody made the point, and he said, if you're just talking about bringing a ship up and tying it up here temporarily, we all go away. There's no problem with tying a ship up temporarily. So we brought it to Albany, and we were temporary for 10 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> I see. so uh, uh, what happens to it in the wintertime? Now, it used to be that uh, we used to have to go over to Rensselaer in the winter because of the, the mooring system we had involved these uh, 16 wooden floats or camels to hold us off the seawall in the deep water, and they were always afraid that the ice would take those out. So uh, we used to have to uh, move the ship to Rensselaer where we could be pierside, and then we'd lift these camels out of the water and in the spring put them back in. Uh, in 2010, we got a grant and we built a permanent mooring system with two uh, monopiles that, you know, to hold us in place. So the camels went away and DOT modified our permit so we can stay in Albany year-round. And even though we're closed to the public, the volunteers work in the ship all mm-hmm. winter long. So. You mean you don't move it from its current location? We don't have to move anymore, no. Mm-mm. Oh, is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And all right, the USS Slater uh, Historical Museum, a destroyer escort from World War II. Uh, we're talking with uh, Tim Rizzuto, who is executive director of the uh, Slater. This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590, heard on uh, 590 and 100.5 in Albany, and also heard in the Glens Falls area on 96.9 and 1410 AM. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest is Tim Rizzuto, Executive Director of the USS Slater Destroyer Escort Historical Museum, open for tours once again this year in Albany. Well, let's uh, talk about that. Now that I learned that the Slater just stays in place, is it the place that I I remember it? You know, right off of the seven eighty seven. Well, we used to call the old snow dock where they used to the city used to dump the snow into the Hudson River. You know, and uh, we're right next to the Dutch Apple cruise boat and the U-Haul building. Okay. Uh, you know, they they have the big U-Haul truck going around the top of the building, and somebody said you really know you made it when you have a destroyer escort on top of the U-Haul building rotating <laughs> around. <you know? laughs> That's right. Um, where do you park? Well, there's parking right on the snow dock there. Yeah, that's, so that's not an issue. You know, it's just easy walk to the ship, you know. Mm. If you have a GPS and you want to get there, where do you 
put in yet. Just put in USS Slater. You know, it's it's a bizarre thing, but we we don't have a actual street address. We've never been able to get one for some reason. So we use Broadway and Quay Street, Albany, New York, and the zip code is one two two zero two. How can you tour the Slater? I mean, what different ways do people do this? Um, the main tour that we have is uh, we have. Uh, paid and volunteer guides, you know, interns who take people through the ship, and uh, they're, they're the docents. And what we do is we show the visitors about a seven-minute video, kind of set the stage for the, put the ship in historic perspective and show what it was like when it was at sea. And then the tour lasts about an hour, and the uh, tour guides take the visitors up, you know, through all the living compartments, the combat information center, the pilot house, the kids can play on the guns, you know. And it's, it really shows you what the, how these guys lived during World War II. And then we have a couple of optional tours where you, you can get into the uh, research collection back aft or the engine room. You know, that's an optional tour there, too. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have groups, do you not, or camp people? Oh, we, ha- we have over- youth group overnight camping for Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and church groups, you know, any kind of organized youth group, you know. And we can accommodate up to 50 campers a night, you know. And we'll usually do that on Fridays and Saturdays, uh, usually from uh, April to uh, November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about the veterans themselves? Do you, what, what's the reaction when the veterans come and see the ship? That it's it's just like it's just such a great intergenerational experience. If 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 a veteran can bring his kids or his grandkids down to see the ship, you know, and actually show them how he lived, uh, the people who um, are most impressed are the ones who saw the ship when it first came over from Greece. They visited when it was down at the uh, Intrepid Sea Air Space really? Museum. Yeah. And to see the changes, you know, we've gone from, it was really in rough shape when it came back from Greece. Most of the inside had been stripped out, you know. And so we've had a, basically a 20-year effort to locate all the parts and equipment that the ship would have had in World War II and put it back together. And uh, we're now one of the finest naval exhibits in the world. And the people who saw it back in the beginning can't believe the change that we made. Really? Um, so, and Are you still temporary in, in Albany? No, no. But <laughs> after, after they put the permanent mooring dolphins in, you know, we got all our permanent permitting straight, you know. So we are considered permanent year-round year here in Albany. So, And you've been with it from the beginning, and you and I uh, <laughs> chatted before we started. Neither one of us is a, a veteran of military service. I have service. to live that down every day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but— um, what interested you about this or why was it? Because you were brought on to the team kind of right away. Uh, it's, it's kind of a bizarre story. It's uh, back when I was in fifth grade, my parents took us on a trip to Williamsburg, Virginia. And on the way, we stopped by the Naval Academy and we went to Isherwood Hall, the old Museum of Marine Engineering. And they had these huge Gibbs and Cox builders models. And you can't imagine how detailed these are. And when I saw those models, something just clicked and it was all about ships after that. And so I followed through on that and uh, finished up, a, I did five semesters at Maritime College, finished up a history degree. And then my first job in the business was caretaker of the destroyer Kennedy up in Fall River, Massachusetts. Then I was 15 years restoring a Fletcher-class destroyer, the USS Kidd, down in Baton Rouge. And that's when they asked me to come up here just to get them started. So I came up on a one-year leave of absence 22 years ago. Ah. So. <laughs> So th- this has been your career, yeah. dealing with yeah. with historic uh, warships. My third ship, and I think this will be the last one. You know, so. well, <laughs> it's a it's a good one to end with. Yeah. So. Um, what is it? What do you like about the Slater? Uh, I'm going to say that uh, the the atmosphere here, just the volunteers we have, are fantastic. The board of directors is fantastic. It's just such a great working environment. And the fact is that the ship is small enough that I can actually delude myself that we work long enough and hard enough on it, we can actually get ahead of the maintenance here. 
I think we're really doing a good job on that, as opposed to a battleship and aircraft carrier, where I don't think you could ever get on top of one of those. You know? mm. Well, that's true. Mm. I mean, isn't it? I mean, let's take the Intrepid. I mean, it's yeah. huge, and this yeah, is not. The, the maintenance budget would be astronomical on that, where, you know, on our ship, you know, I think we can actually get to do things in the spaces that the public doesn't see that help preserve the ship, you know, for perpetuity. You know, so. Where do you get money? To uh, do this. this, one of the most amazing things about this is up to this point, this has been totally self-supporting. Uh, we get about half our money from our ticket sales and our, you know, operational revenue, and the other half comes from donations. We have about a 3,000-member donor base nationwide, and we put out a quarterly newsletter and do monthly el- electronic newsletters and keep people engaged. We tell the stories about what the volunteers are doing. So people all around the country feel like they're actually part of this program. So uh, we run about, I'm going to say, a $400,000 operating budget a year, and about half that money comes from donations. Now, just recently, we got our first big grant. We got a $200,000 Maritime Heritage Mm -hmm. Grant that we have to match, but we're going to be going back in the shipyard in April of 2020, and we're going to have the shipyard repaint the bottom of the ship, put it in dry dock, and we're going to do restoration work to the mast. Mm -hmm. Where's the sh- shipyard? So that this does is, mean that yeah, this is actually moves. Cordell Shipyard in Staten Island. It's one of the last private yards in the New York area. So, mm-hmm. so as it gets Slater down there, it's you got to tow it. Yeah, we t- we'll t- we'll end up towing it down. And uh, we we were in the shipyard in 2014. If you can believe, we actually raised 1.5 million dollars privately, you know, and went down and we had uh, you know the bottom inspected and put extra plate along the waterline to give us some protection against the ice. So. Mm. This will be our second trip to the shipyard. Mm-hmm. Now, before I forget, if people are uh, – oh, how much does it cost to tour this later? It's $9 for adults, $7 for children, and uh, you know, kids under 6 are free when they're with their parents. You know. and you're open Wednesday through? Wednesday to Sunday. Uh, we run the tours 10 to 4, and we're open from April to November. We close Thanksgiving weekend. And I, I know you can find it online, mm-hmm. and uh, to find to find it physically, you can use your GPS to USS Slater to the snow dock yeah. in Hudson mm-hmm. River in the city of Albany. Uh, how, do you have a phone number? Yeah, area code 518-431-1943. Or if you can reach, it's on the internet, info at ussslater.org. Okay. You know, so. mm-hmm. um, the... the uh, do you, you have remnants or, or relics from World War II itself on board? Oh, yeah. Other, uh, in addition to the ship? Yeah, we have a research collection back after. And over the years, a lot of these veterans have donated their uniforms or pieces of their ship, whatever souvenir they took with them when they left their ship in 1945. That's things like clocks. You know, one guy brought a vice back from his ship, you know, just just odds and ends. Pieces of kamikaze aircraft that they salvaged. It's a... Inter- interesting collection, and then a lot of people have collected a lot of documentation about their ships. They actually built 563 of these destroyer escorts in World War II, so we figure about 150,000 people served on these ships. So. Mm. I know. Does the U.S. Navy have ships like this today? Um, really, n- they don't because uh, I guess the closest you could come are the littorial combat ships that they have today that they're you know, kind of a controversial design. Uh, in what, the, are you saying littorial? Yeah, mm, they're mm. close into shore, you right. know. Uh, in the 70s, they built what they called the Oliver Hazard class of Perry frigates, and uh, the, those were kind of similar to a destroyer escort, but they've since been taken out of service. You know? mm. Okay. Well, uh, 
thank you very much, uh, Tim Rizzuto, for joining us, Executive Director of the USS Slater Destroyer Escort Historical Museum. Open for tours once again this summer. It's a real popular attraction. In yeah, Albany. Wednesday to Sunday from 10 until 4. <laughs> you have been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest, Tim Rizzuto, Executive Director of the USS Slater Destroyer Escort Historical Museum. Talk of the Town is heard on Magic 590 plus 100.5 in Albany and on 96.9 and 1410 in the Glens Falls area. This interview is online at albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. Next week on Talk of the Town, our guest will be Denise Murphy-McCraw. She's a member of the Niskayuna Town Council. I'm Bob Cudmore.